Welcome to the Level Up Podcast, brought to you by Century 21, the Harrelson Group, featuring masterminds with real estate leaders, coaches, and influencers, plus eye-opening strategy sessions with up-and-coming agents. You'll learn exactly how to go from agent to entrepreneur. And now, let's get to the latest episode of Level Up. Welcome back, everybody, to the Level Up Podcast. I am your co-host, Brendan Payton. I've got my partner, Greg Harrelson on. How are you, Greg? Doing good, man. Excited to be here. Yeah, we've got a good one today. So we are talking about money today. With Make, uh, Making money. Making make, money. Well, making money, saving money, and making money work. So mm. excited. I've got a great guest. We've got uh, Chris Noggle, America's number one money mentor. So he's going to be dropping a lot of information on us. Welcome to the uh, to the podcast, Chris. Hey, thanks so much, gentlemen. Happy to be here. Yeah, yes. absolutely. So I know from from talking with you offline, you have had multiple companies. Um, obviously, you have bought, flipped, sold dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of homes, featured in Forbes magazine. Um, House Hunters, you had an HGTV pilot show at one point in time, and you're currently the founder of the Money School and the Money Mentor for the Money Multiplier. So when I say we're going to talk about money, then we're going to talk about money. <laughs> yes. You're right. That's my favorite topic. Awesome. Hey, and, and I was listening to one of your recent podcasts um, that you, when before you got started, you said something that I hope that you'll remember. If not, I'll remind you, but I think it's so important for our audience. And it was about the, you know, the term that knowledge is power and it's really not. Can you, do you remember what you, what you mentioned there? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we're always taught that knowledge is power, but it's really not. It's not the knowledge that's the power. It's the application of the knowledge we learn that's the real power. And it's the only thing that will get someone where they want to be. You can you could be the smartest guy in the room, smartest guy in the world. If you don't apply that knowledge into something that solves somebody else's problem, you're going nowhere. You're just the smartest guy and it does nothing for you and it doesn't solve anyone's problem. Love it. So I wanted to make sure the audience gets that to set the tone because I know, you know, listening to these is great, but there's going to be some some action points I'm sure people can write down. And uh, I appreciate you sharing that. I thought that was that was uh, that was a great piece for people to understand. So give us a little bit of background. Tell us who you are and, and how you got to where you are today as the, as the money mentor. Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in a very lower middle-class family. I was raised by my mom. My dad was an alcoholic. And even though we didn't have resources and we didn't have my money, my mother always taught me to dream. And, you know, as a young child, one of the things I always wanted to be was a pro snowboarder. I watched VHS videos of all these athletes and all the magazines, and I wanted nothing more than to live that life. And, you know, I live in Buffalo, New York. So if any of you don't know, we get a lot of snow, but we don't have mountains here. This isn't the epicenter for snowboarding, but we had snow and I had a dream and everybody told me I couldn't do it. So I just went after it. And going after it was very simple to me, but very complicated for other people. Cause they were like, well, you got to be at the resort. And I didn't have money to go to the resort. Mom couldn't take me to the resort, buy me lift tickets. So there was a country club by my house and it was in a ravine. So I would go there after school, mom would drop me off and I would build jumps out of the sand traps. There was like sand traps and on a ravine, obviously that creates a great jump and a nice landing. And I remember early on, I'd go there and I'd practice trips or tricks, but I always ran out of energy. Because, you know, you can only hike a hill so many times before it gets dark. So I would go home and I'd run up and down the backyard in deep snow just to get in shape to come back so I could get more hits on that jump. 
I mean, that's just a small piece of it, but that's how I became a pro snowboarder. 16 years old, got a big boy job working at a restaurant and they degraded me so badly that the day I quit, I didn't know it. It was the day I actually quit trading hours for dollars. So as a young teenager, I learned probably what was not known to me then, but an important thing. And I became an entrepreneur right then and there. Came home, started a clothing line in mom's basement called Fat Clothing Company. Had no idea what being an entrepreneur meant. I knew I need X amount of dollars to go to the resort and to buy my snowboards. That's all I cared about. So I made t-shirts, I sold them in school. And a year later, I was, I had four seamstresses working for me. My stores were in, or my clothing were in multiple stores up and down the Eastern seaboard. And the next big dream was to open a skateboard snowboard shop. Cause Hey, if you got the clothing, you need the shop. And I needed 70 grand. And this is where money slapped me in the face because I thought, okay, I need 70 grand. Ask my dad, ask my uncle who has money in our family, mom. She told me, and they all told me, no, how crazy I was. My father said, come get a job at the, at the factory and we'll do that. And all those things almost crushed that dream, you know? So when we're children, we don't have limitations. We don't have barriers and we haven't been kicked down by conformity of people telling us how to live our lives. But this is the first point in my life where really the outside world started trying to get me to conform to their ideologies. And my dream, my creation was almost dead. My mother saw this. And even though she had nothing, she had a house that she got in the divorce, 700 square foot, two bedroom house where she still lives today. She put that thing on the line so that her crazy punk snowboard kid could chase his dream. And that's when it all began. I mean, because now all of a sudden I might've thought I was an entrepreneur, but now I was, and now I had serious consequences to failure. So for the next five years, I hustled and I made it happen. I paid that loan off and I just ran those stores, became a pro snowboarder and did that all the way up to the early 2000s. Life was perfect. And then the, the, not the great recession, but the dot-com crash actually happened. And all of a sudden my business plummeted 30%. So I had to get a job. And of all places for a punk snowboard kid to land, I landed in Wall Street, right? Does that make any freaking sense? Mm -hmm. To me, I was like, why do these people want me? But I'll go. So my grandma got me a suit, a zip up tie, and off I went. And I ended up uh, starting my career as a financial advisor, but I came be uh, one of the top advisors over the next several years. And by 2008, I was crushing. I was making hundreds of thousands of dollars. I was number three in the office and I was doing a little bit of real estate. So I'd flip the house in 06, did another one in 07 and in 08, bought a dilapidated paint store to move my, my retail store into. But I said, well, I could move my store into it, but why would I pay rent when I can rent out a couple spaces and have them pay my mortgage for me. So I did that. I started developing it. And you heard when I said I did this, right? 2008. Mm -hmm. I think everybody listening to this that has exposure to real estate understands the impact of 2008. It hit me like a Mack truck, gentlemen. And when it hit me, I was one payment away. No kidding. I had maxed out my 401ks, taken loans from all my life insurance. I had no more money to pay this hard money lender who wasn't a nice guy. I came home to my girlfriend who just moved in. I said, sweetie, I need you to pay the mortgage. I need you to pay the utilities. And my two friends are going to move into the two extra bedrooms in my house. Any questions? <laughs> it's like a 50-50 shot of her sticking around, but she did. And then from there, I actually dove deep into real estate. So I was still an advisor, still uh, or, uh, doing the snowboarding. And I started buying apartment buildings from nine to 14, got up to 36 units. And then the 37th unit is when it all crumbled. It was a house of cards built on my personal credit, not commercial credit, not the things that I know today. And when I did that, the bank 
froze my lines of credit. They didn't give me the loan. And then all of a sudden it just spiraled out of control, sold them all lost. You know, I sold my dream house, pretty much lost it. We sold it at a loss and life you know, went all the way down to the bottom and I hit the lowest point in my life. And at this lowest point in my life, I started asking myself simple questions of if I'm this big financial advisor, who's made all this money and I had all this real estate, how is it that I'm where I'm at? How is it that I can't afford to make my car payment? How is it that I can't afford to do anything? Why did I have to sell my bedroom set in my house? Like what is wrong here? And what I did is I landed at a three-day event and I saw two people, Mike and Greg, and they started talking about money. These are really successful guys. And I learned at that moment what they were talking about and how the wealthy handled money was completely different than what I was doing. And that brings me right up to the current day. I mean, I have literally dove in from 14 straight through today. I'm a perpetual student and I've learned the secrets of the wealthy, what the wealthy do with money that is completely different than what we do. And I've cracked the code and I teach that today to tens of thousands of people. I teach them how to mimic the wealthy and how to change just one thing by taking back control of their money. And in the middle, we, yeah, you named the other things. We had a show on HGTV called Risky Builders, lots of shows, house hunters, lottery dream homes. My wife and I have flipped uh, to date 267 houses. We had lots of rentals and uh, you know, that's all boring stuff. But uh, today I do money. That's a, that, oh. that's a lot. There's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack, you know. Um, Great story. I, I'll, one thing that just is resonating in my mind that we got to touch on is we've had a good run in the last couple of years in the real estate industry. And there are a lot of real estate agents that have more money. Well, <laughs> they have more money flowing through their hands. I don't know if they still have it or not. Um, but in the last two years, as a just any real estate agent should be having some unbelievable years and they should see increases in their finances. Um, and, and, and the revenues that they're generating for themselves. What the, the challenge is, is at some point, the market starts to kind of soften and go down again. And usually what happens in the real estate industry through my many, many cycles is that real estate agents make money and in the high times and then in the low times, they give that money back and then they make money and then they give it back. It's a constant money coming in and then money kind of goes away and they never really accumulate wealth. Um, I, I know you have some 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 tips and some uh, um, some thoughts on this. What can you tell us as a real estate agent industry um, as to what we should be doing with this money now to make sure that we preserve it and we don't go back down, we don't lose it? Greg, that's a, a fantastic question and a great place to start. And I think, you know, it's not just realtors, but we're going to focus on realtors. You know, yeah. realtors are very good at making money. I mean, you know exactly how to go out there, hustle and make money, and you can make a ton of money being a realtor and an agent. But the problem that I see with realtors, and, and this is much like a lot of other industries, is they're very good at making it, but they're also not good at keeping it because money comes in. And what have we been taught to do with the money we make? And just if anyone's listening to this, I'm holding a $100 bill. We work really hard to make this by trading hours for dollars or working in some capacity where work is related to how much money we're going to make. And when we get that money, we have been trained very well from a young age to take that money and do what with it? Give up control of it. And what do I mean by that? Where does your money go when you make it? 
in the bank, right? In somebody else's bank. You're putting that money in a traditional bank. And then what's happening? Are they putting your money in a little box in the back with your name on it saying, hey, come back whenever you want. Your money will be in this little box. See the serial number? Absolutely not. They are taking your money and they are moving your money in various ways. And they're making a spread. How much is that spread? Some people don't even want to know, but it is 400 to 1300% more than you're making on your money, according to BauerFinancial.com. So if banks are making money by simply taking your money and moving it, then why can't we mimic the bank? Well, the other thing that a lot of people do is they take their money and they give up control to financial advisors, give up control to 401ks, because that's what we've been taught to do, right? Make money, put it away for that fictitious thing called retirement. No, no disrespect if anyone believes in retirement, but I think it is a fantasy. I think retirement is when you actually have the ability because of prudent planning to actually live your perfect day every day. But that's not what we believe it. We believe we just got to have X amount of dollars because somebody said you need $3 million to be able to retire nonsense. So what do the wealthy do different with money that we don't? And what do what can realtors and agents learn from the wealthy? Simple. Learn how to be in control of your money. Now, you're very busy out there doing your, your business and, and doing real estate. Keep doing that. But change just one thing and change where your money goes first. Because if you become the bank, just like the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, the Walt Disney's, the Ray Crocs and, and the greats, I mean, right up to the current administration, the Biden and McCain before he died, they all understood what being their own bank was. And it didn't involve anything fancy, like actually going out and digging a hole and putting in a bank. It just really comes down to treat your money the same as you treat the bank's money. So if you're okay giving the bank your money to hang on to, why don't you put that money in a different place where you're in full control of it and where interest or what I like to call uninterrupted compound interest is in your favor. I want to just tell a quick story because this is going to be different. This is going to be totally different than what you've been taught. So I want to, I want you to all picture an airplane, right? You've all flown in an airplane and, you know, the pilot comes on and says, oh, we got a, a nasty headwind in us. It's going to we're going to land a little bit late. So if anyone has uh, changeovers or you got to you know, jump on another plane, we're going to we're going to call them ahead and tell them you're running late because there was a headwind. It didn't mean the plane flew faster. It didn't mean the plane you know, wasn't operating properly. It was fighting an environment that you can't fight. You can't win against the headwind. Now, imagine that same plane. When you're flying and the pilot comes on and says, hey, folks, we're having a great day up here in the cockpit. We've got an unbelievable tailwind. We're going to arrive 30 minutes early. That plane didn't work any harder. It just operated in a different environment with a perpetual tailwind behind it. Now, I talked about an airplane because we all understand that. You see, your money every day with what you're doing with it is operating with a headwind because you're operating your money in the wrong environment. If you simply change one thing, you change where that money goes first. You can operate in an environment where your money has a perpetual tailwind, and that tailwind is called compound interest or uninterrupted compound interest because it's way more fun when you can make money and still use that money. Albert Einstein talked about this a lot, but everybody seems to forget. But he did say it was the eighth wonder of the world, the greatest thing in the financial universe. And he also said, those that understand it, earn it. And those that don't, pay it. Too many of us pay compound interest. Too few of us actually know how to earn it. So where is this place where you can put your money? Well, I didn't come up with this. I wish I could coin that. This has been around for hundreds of years. And it's not a bank. It's actually a giant insurance company. So how do you get your money in a giant insurance company? Well, you can't just walk in and deposit your money. It's through a vehicle that's been around forever that everybody thinks they know what it is, but they don't know 
how it actually can operate. And that, uh, that vehicle, and this is where it's all going to surprise everybody, is nothing different than a whole life insurance policy. But hold on a second. Before you go back, I see everybody's eyes. So like, oh, here we go. Here we go. He's selling life insurance. Absolutely not. Just hear me out. This is a specially designed and engineered whole life that operates totally different than the life insurance you're buying from your brother-in-law in that life insurance store. This is how banks use whole life because they are the number one purchasers of it. If you knew how this works, it's called privatized banking. If you took that same money that you're putting in the bank and you changed where that money went first, I'll tell you this, the insurance company will pay you a guaranteed interest rate. How much? 2021, it is 4%. So now you're four times more than what you're probably making in the bank, but then they pay you a dividend. So you're at about 6% as of 2021. But that's not the fun part. The fun part is, is how do I make 6% on my money, but then still have access to take my money out and use my money to go invest in real estate, do private loans, buy stocks or crypto or something else out there and make money twice. That's the secret. See, this is what the wealthy understand. They understand how to make their money work for them. In this environment, your money's earning interest, whether the money's in there or out of there. And I'm not going to get into the weeds on that, but there's a, there's a lot going on behind the scenes that I don't have time to explain. But there is a way to make this work. Most advisors have no clue how to do this. And most agents have no clue because it, to do this, they have to give up about 90% of their commission. So you're all, you know, realtors and agents. How many of you would go to somebody that has a house and say, hey, listen, I really like you. I'm going to give up 90% of my commission so that you can have 90% more money at closing. Greg, how, like how many agents would love to do that and just rush out to do that every single day? I don't, I don't know one. <laughs> yeah. Brendan, how many? Zero. Okay. Well, you're going to get the same thing in the financial world. 16 years as a high-level advisor, you think I ever wanted to give up my commissions? Absolutely not. But to do what I just explained, you have to find somebody that specializes in this and understands that that's the only way that works. Because if I give up 90% of what I'd make, that means that you both have 90% more money today, right now, to use. One has to give so others can get. That's the secret. But now let's get to how do you make your money work? So now I've got the ability to use my money while I'm still earning interest on my money. There's got to be a catch that that money you're holding. Whose is it? If it's you can't just put money in and take it out and still earn interest. That that seems too good to be true. The money I'm holding in my hand that I took out isn't my money. My money never left the account, which is why I can earn uninterrupted compound interest. The money I'm holding is the insurance companies. They loaned it to me. Oh, I knew there was a catch. It's a loan. I don't want more debt. Right. But what if the loan never needed to be paid back? Would that be different? If the insurance company never, ever would ask you for this money back, would you be like, well, cool. All right. If you don't want it back, I'll take it. Well, they don't ask for it back. And do you know why? Because it's the money that they promised to pay the day you die. So someday you're going to die. We're all going to die. Death and taxes. Remember, two certains. So if they give you part of your death benefit early to use, do they care if you ever pay it back? No, because you're going to die someday. You're going to graduate, as I like to say. So when you graduate, they get their money back because they reduce it from the death benefit. So the other thing, too, let's move away from this specially designed whole life. Let's talk about something that you're all very familiar with. You mentioned real estate and how realtors are making a ton of money. And part of the reason for that is, well, there's tons of demand, but isn't real estate values going up and up and up? It's skyrocketing. I, I live in Buffalo, New York, and no disrespect to Buffalo, but who the heck wants to live here? I'm here because my mom's here. But I mean, I can't understand why someone would want to live in Buffalo. Our property values are, are you can't even get a house for 350000 I mean, I've been flipping houses for a long time. And I remember just a few short years ago, like 150 to 200 was a, a really high priced house. Now it's 350 in Buffalo. Property values are going up. So that means there's a secondary component. 
That means everybody has lazy money sitting in their rafters called equity. We all have equity in our houses. Doesn't You didn't work any harder for that. The markets went up, the demand for housing went up and pushed this up and hedge funds and helped a little bit with that. But now you got all this equity sitting in your house. So I want all of you to think about the worst day you've ever had as a realtor. You, you had the worst clients. They ran you around to 15 houses in a day and they said, ah, I don't like any of them. Can we start to again tomorrow? And can you show me 20 tomorrow? That would be a bad day. So you come home after a hard, long day and you open your front door, you're exhausted and you look into your living room and right there on your couch is your money. And your money is just sitting on the couch, watching your TV, eating your soda, drinking or eating your potato chips, drinking your soda, being lazy. And it looks back at you and says, what, did you have a hard day? That's what your money's doing if you're not tapping into the equity in your house. So let's say uh, some of you have debt. Most people do, credit cards. And you're trying to save money, but you're constantly, when you make money, it's all going to that debt. Well, you got all this equity sitting in your house and it's lazy on your couch. So why don't you just tap into it? Take the equity off your couch, okay? Take that money and pay off all the debts. Pay off your car and forget about the interest rate. Everybody gets hung up, well, the interest is five and my car is zero. Let's just talk velocity of money. Take the equity in your house and pay off all your credit cards and all the high interest rate debts first. Then let's move down to the car. But instead of just paying it off and being like, okay, I'm done, you created debt because you now have a home equity line. So what we're going to do is we're going to take all the money you used to give away, the money that left your family every single month in the form of credit card payments, line of credit payments, car payments, and we're going to literally just change the name on all those checks. So the check you used to write to Visa, you're going to write your name on that check. The check you wrote to the car finance company, you're going to write your name. And all that money then is going to go from who it, you know the people you used to give it away to, and it's now going to make its way back over into your bank or back to your home equity line. Do you realize in doing that? If you averaged out how much interest you give away every single month to all your debtors, it's probably 10, 12%. You literally just took back and recycled and recaptured 12% interest. So is it 12 true return, 12% truly to you? No. If your home equity line's five and you took back 12, net it out, the arbitrage is what you got to keep. And you didn't work any harder for that. You took on no additional risk at all. You didn't put the money in a stock and be like, oh God, I hope this goes up. You literally changed one thing. And you operated in the right environment and you operated as the bank. I started with the whole life, but this works for home equity lines. This works for 401k loans. This works for any pool of money that you have. But the whole life is the only one that can pay you uninterrupted compound interest. So sorry I went long on that, gentlemen. And I tend to get so caught up and excited about this because it's so simple, but it changes people's lives very quickly. Yeah, that that. There, there's a lot. There is, uh, again, there's just, there's, those are three great strategies. Brendan, what are your thoughts or, or questions? Where do you want to take it from there? That's some good stuff. Yeah. So, so one of the, the, the hours for dollars that you said very early, I think is one of the biggest traps that, right. And we're all just, you know, we're born into it. And so you learn really, really early that like you, you beyond the the t-shirts and stuff like that did you ever really did you go back to the dollar for hour because you it sounds like you were you know the position you were in to learn that early was huge because it's tough to go back to earning dollars for hours after you've been exposed to something where you're not now, you know, I don't think I ever went back to trading hours for dollars. There was hard times in my life during that journey where maybe I did some side jobs or did some landscaping. You know, all of us have to hustle from time to time. But here's the mistakes I made. I was an entrepreneur at a young age. But being an entrepreneur doesn't always mean you don't create another job for yourself. Early on in those stores, I was a slave to that business. 
I worked in the business, which means I literally did nothing different than I used to do because I was just trading hours for dollars. I was in the store working hours, expecting the same results. I wasn't working on the business until the dot-com crash happened when I went to Wall Street. I then was forced to start working on the business, not in the business. And I learned something important during that. And most business owners need to understand this. You can only work so hard. And if you are working as yourself, and you will have goals, your goals are going to be limited because you can only do what you can do. I started to see when I went over to Wall Street that even though I wasn't working in the business, I empowered my managers and my, my employees to, to step up and do the things that I used to do. And at first, I was like, they'll never be able to do it better than me. I'm the best at this. I've been doing this my whole life. This is my business, my creation. Nobody can do it. That's called ego. I had tons of it. And I shed the ego a little bit because when I left, my employees did a way better job than I did. And my business started doing way better than I did. And I started asking myself, well, how can that be? I thought I was the best at this. And I realized that when you put people in a position where they can think for themselves and do things, they think differently and they might have a different way to build a business than you did. So that was a mistake I made. I didn't trade hours for dollars, but I did something worse. I created jobs for myself in the businesses that I created, which to be honest, is way worse than trading hours for dollars. Yeah, because there's no end of those. No, none, none. You're trapped. You're trapped. You, so can quit, you, you can quit a job. You can't quit your business. <laughs> well, you can, but I don't, I don't think that'd be smart. So when you, were, when, when you had the aha as a financial advisor, you're going, wait a second, I'm busted. And I'm the guy that says that I'm the financial advisor. You know, and you had that, that conversation with yourself. Coming out of that, aside from what you actually learned about money that you went through, what was the biggest lesson that you took from that? Well, there's a couple, but I think that was a really hard time. Part of that whole collapse was also the self-realization that I wasn't the smartest guy in the room. That just because I had, you know, the number of like the top three guy in this big office, like it meant absolutely nothing because if I'm failing, I'm failing my clients. And, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, there's an old saying, you know, the, the wealthy show up in a Rolls Royce to Wall Street to take advice from people that took the subway in, right? That we've all heard that. Well, I had that realization and, and I started really saying, okay, well, if I thought I was so smart, but I'm really not, you know, it goes to here, here's, I'll sum it up with this. If you don't mind, Brendan, Will Rogers had a profound quote that I've started to live my life by. And he said, the biggest problem in America is not what people don't know. The biggest problem in America is what people think they know that just ain't. So I was that guy. I thought I knew what I didn't know. And really the problem, what, that was the problem, but the problem was all I needed to do is open my eyes and start seeing that I didn't know and start learning what the wealthy knew. And it took failing miserably, like that was really bad for me to actually open my eyes, shed the ego, because it's all ego, shed the ego and actually say, what else is out there? What am I missing? I'm, I'm a big advisor, but obviously this isn't working for me. So how can this be working for my clients? So you you know one of the things that um, that we touched on before we uh, before we hit the record button was, um, you know, agents. Uh, think about before two thousand eight, where there was you know when we started to see that real big crash, um, and I do not believe that we're going to experience a, a busting of any bubble at this moment. I mean, I just I'm not so I'm not 
future pace and that there's a crash. But we are seeing that there is a shift in the conversations that are occurring in real estate right now where buyers are, you know, maybe they're being, uh, they're saying, hey, well, maybe I'll wait to see what happens. And sellers are a little bit, uh, maybe a little overly optimistic and um, and buyers are becoming realistic again. And so um, that could be a, a, a little bit of a, a softening. But if you could go back to 2006, when everything was really good, prior to 2008, where everything started to collapse, is there anything that you might have like done a little bit differently or would you prepared or set yourself up a little differently to make sure that you could sustain no matter what the volatility of the future market is. Absolutely. You know, back then I was a risk taker. You know, I, I just followed the herd. I just put money in all the things that looked like they were making the most. And, you know, anything that I could throw money at, I was throwing money at. I was literally caught up in what you're seeing today called FOMO, fear of missing out. I, you know, it's almost like you ever see the family guy where, where he's going around, he's, ooh, piece of candy, ooh, piece of candy. Mm. Ooh, yeah, that was me. Every little piece of candy was like, oh, I can make money here. 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 And in doing that, the first thing I did is I took, you know, to be successful, you got to really focus. You know, Gary Keller, uh, everybody knows probably Gary Keller in this industry, his book, The One Thing. You got to focus on the one thing. I was focused on all the things. Mm. And because I was focused on all the things, I took my eye off the one thing that made it so that nothing else would have mattered. And also when I did that, I lost sight of Warren Buffett's teachings. I've read The Intelligent Investor. I've read all of his books, but I just got caught up in the, the, the FOMO, the, the uh, you know, euphoria of, of the markets being high. And my God, this is never going to end. And in, then it ended. But you see, it ends so fast. Oh, wait, boom, done, gone, right? You had no time to react. You had no time to position. The second you were ready to position, you'd lost too much. And you're like, I can't sell, I'll lose too much. And then all of a sudden, right when that happens, right when the market tanked, every opportunity, some of the biggest opportunities in our lifetime, let's go back to 08, presented themselves right then and there. Mm -hmm. But too many people were not in a position to take advantage of the opportunities. I was one of them because I stopped focusing on that one thing. Now, fast forward to now, it's completely different. I understand there is going to be some changes coming. When? Who knows? You can't time the markets. Is yeah. it going to be an 08 in real estate? Absolutely not. There's way too much demand. You got the millennials buying houses. I mean, you're not going to see that in real estate. You might see it in commercial a little bit, but the stock market, let's, let's go there because that's the world I really know. It is going to collapse. There's no way it can't. And when that collapses, real estate will have some turmoil six to six months, 12 months after. Again, I'm not saying that real estate is going to have an 08. It's not a problem in real estate right now. The problem is elsewhere. But in preparing for this, the first thing I had to do is I had to just follow simple steps and rules like buy low, sell high, and don't lose money. So stocks or real estate, let's talk both. I've sold all my stocks. A lot of people say I'm crazy. Oh my God, you're going to miss out. Miss out on what? 10%? I'm out and I'm sitting in 20 and 30 year US treasury bonds because they're guaranteed by the government. And hey, even if you don't like the government, it's still the nicest house in a crappy neighborhood. So I'm doing that because I understand how bonds work in relation to interest rates. Secondarily, I have an awful lot of money just sitting on the sidelines, just waiting. It's literally like, you know, you're getting ready for a race. You know, you got that calm time before where you're just gathering it all. I just, that's what my money's doing, waiting for this next opportunity, but I'm being patient. I'm not getting caught up in the euphoria. I'm not getting caught up in the crypto. I sold all my crypto at 40 and, and I'm just sitting and waiting for what's next. I don't know when it's going to be, but Hey, patience is a virtue. And this next one, if, if I'm a, I'm right on this, whenever it happens year, two years, three years, if it's 
even remotely what 2008 was in the terms of the markets. It's going to create so many opportunities, but I'm going to be right in the first, right at the you know, first guy in the line waiting to take advantage of those opportunities. In 08, I didn't do that. I didn't. I just got caught up in the euphoria of it. But now I'm sitting waiting and I'm waiting for blood in the streets. When others are greedy, be fearful. When others are fearful, be greedy. There's too much greed out there. Real estate. I owned 91 units, rentals, a couple of years ago. I'm down to 18, uh, not doors. I have like 20 some doors, but 18 properties. So how did I go from 91 to 18? I've been selling into this market because the market's high. When the market's high, you sell. And I'm not saying this is right for everybody. You can play the cash flow game, which I do. But see, if I have the capital instead of the rent, and, and, and just so everybody knows, in New York, this moratorium thing has been devastating for us, us landlords. So part of the reason isn't just that the market's high. I just, I'm so soured on real estate right now because of what I just went through with these moratorium and the you know bad tenants. Let's just put it that way. So in getting rid of the bad, I've also created a whole lot of cash flow that I'm going to sit, park it, and just wait for the opportunity to come then. So if real estate does come off these highs, I'll be ready to start buying again. But I'll do the same thing that I did in 2009 to 14, but I won't make the mistake that I made then. So long-winded answer, but you can see I'm in the mindset now where I'm getting ready for the storm. And getting ready is just meaning shutting off some of the assets. Not all. all the ones I have now, I'll keep. They're great cash flow. I'll cash flow those things through any market cycle. It won't even make a difference. But the ones that I did have trouble with, I got rid of the headaches and now I'm ready. I, I love that. And I appreciate you, you you touching a little bit on that real estate side because I, I tell you, I see so many people, they're so bullish on real estate. And look, I'm I, I'm always bullish on real estate, but um, the I have I have rules. And you got to set rules and you got to stay, follow those rules. And um, it seems like there's very few properties that actually, that will fit into my rules. And instead of changing my rules, I just have to like miss out on opportunities. Um, and, and I, but I see so many real estate agents, they're so attached to buying that they keep justifying changing their rules. And that just, I, I've been through a few cycles and I can't predict the future, but I can learn from the past. And usually those are the people that get in trouble. My goodness. Like, I mean, you guys can see me, but people are listening to this. I just had to change my camera angle to get a wider view here. I, I'm clapping my hands. I'm cheering for you because that was some of the best wisdom you could have possibly given. And that goes right into that whole euphoria thing. Like people are just rushing out there thinking that this is never going to end. And, and, and they're forgetting about the most important thing in any investing. I don't care if it's real estate, stocks, options, crypto, rules, rules, rules. Warren Buffett doesn't trade without rules. He's the best investor there ever has been. I own a hedge fund. I trade with rules, strict rules. And what those rules sometimes mean is not making as much money. Sometimes those rules mean you cut your losses. Where did we forget about rules? Like where in society did something happen where rules aren't important now? It's just the wild, wild west. Well, unfortunately, those that follow the rules, and they're simple, set your own rules. You don't have to get a rule book to set your rules, set them. I bought it at this. If it hits this, that's my exit. I bought it at this. If the cash flow makes this much money, it hits my rules. Not Oh, if I do this or I remodel the kitchen or I put a new bathroom in, it's going to be worth this. And then it hits my numbers. No, you just broke your rules. Set your rules, stick to your rules. And you know, here, you guys both know this. Like if you stick to your rules, the chances are you're probably not finding deals right now. 
I can't find a deal to save my life in Buffalo, New York. I get deals sent to me every week. You know, we're one of the bigger buyers here. Every day I look at deals and every day I say no. And even when I get one that I like, I just, I, I look at it and I'm like, it's too close. It might hit, it might fit within that little rule, but it just isn't going to make sense. If one thing goes wrong, one sewer line goes, that's it. It's over. Too few people don't follow a simple set of rules that they create. And even people create the rules and they break the rules because like, oh, I think it's going to go higher. Oh, it's going to do this. It's going to do that. You're lying to yourself. History will prove you wrong 100% of the time. Thank you so much for bringing that up. <laughs> that's awesome. Dar, well, I got Brent, fired up there, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Well, Brendan, why don't we go ahead and uh, let, let's go ahead and, and leave it on that note. Yeah, that's uh, that's great information, Chris. And thank you so much for, uh, for hopping on and uh, being able to share all that with you. So tell us if somebody wants to uh, get a little bit more information on who you are, what you offer and stuff like that. I know there's a bunch of stuff out there. Tell us what's the best way to, where do you want to send them? Sure. Just go to my website, chrisnoggle.com. Everything on there is free. I give it all away for free just because, hey, people need this knowledge. And, uh, you know, hey, if anyone wants, I got three books. I got Private Money Guide, Mapping Out the Millionaire Mystery, and another book to teach you how to get all the money back for all the cars you're ever going to buy, drive, and own. They're all free, free, and free. So just go to chrisnoggle.com. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, if you guys uh, want to get a hold of Greg, Greg, what's the easiest way now? You know, hey, just go to Facebook and hit me up on Messenger. It's just the easiest way to do it. And and I, I always, of course, uh, invite everybody to go to our Facebook page, uh, Real Estate Sales Solutions. I'm constantly dumping on video content on how to level up your uh, your real estate business. So join join that uh, that private group and um, and you'll get a lot of content, a lot of value out of it. Awesome. And uh, please do go ahead and uh, subscribe to wherever you're listening to this. Subscribe and uh, like us, share us with your friends and you know, leave us reviews. Good, bad, indifferent. They help us get great guests like Chris. So um, thanks again, Chris. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, meet up down the road soon. Thanks. It was my honor and pleasure. Take care, man. Okay.